The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Too often we rely solely or primarily on conventional medicine to treat symptoms and disease. But these can mask the problems, so we never get to the root cause of the disease. There are better choices. Welcome to Generation Regeneration with your host, Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does play an important role in effective treatment, but even more important are the daily lifestyle, food, and spiritual choices we make. Now, here is Sandra Guy Malhotra. Welcome, everyone, to Generation Regeneration. I'm Sandra Malhotra, your host. Thank you for joining me, whether it's live or on demand. We appreciate all of our listeners. Our goal with the show is to provide information and support for those who want to take ownership of their health and engage in a lifestyle that regenerates their body, mind, and spirit. In particular, we like to provide information about better daily choices we can all make, which will result in sustained health. And today, we're going to describe the impact our daily lifestyle choices have on our genetic expression, which is a field of study called epigenetics. What this means is that better choices have a profound impact on our bodies down to the genes that impact our quality of life and what we pass on to our offspring. What epigenetics teaches us is that although we're born with particular DNA or genetic code, the genes that are expressed or repressed are largely impacted by our lifestyle choices. Wow, this is really empowering. And our guest today is Dr. Kenneth Charlin, and he's going to explain what all of this means and how we can use this knowledge to our advantage. Dr. Charlin is a neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. Dr. Charlin appeared on Gen R Radio on March 17th of this year to describe his journey from conventional to functional medicine, which you can catch on demand if you missed it. And if you're just learning about what functional medicine offers, then that's a great show to take in because he broke it down very well. And you can learn more about Dr. Charlin's functional medical practice at OzarksFunctionalNeurology.com. Welcome, Dr. Charlin, to the show. It's so great to have you back. Well, thank you, Sandra. I'm really excited to be back. Yes, and let's start talking about this fascinating field of epigenetics, which seems to be gaining in popularity. Let's jump right in and define in a bit more detail what epigenetics is. Can you break it down for us? You bet. And I want to say right uh, from the start to our listeners that um, you and I have worked pretty hard on preparing this show, and there are a lot of details in here. And at times, uh, I'm going to use some technical language, some scientific language, some medical language. It's not so important to remember those details. I am going to use them because we developed this language for precision purposes. It's important to be precise when we're talking about something like this. But at the same time, I want to use those words as cues. So when you hear a word like methylation, it's not necessarily super important to know all the details of what methylation means. When I say methylation of DNA, you go, ah, 
that's a that's an epigenetic detail. So that's really what I want our listeners to understand when we get in into the nitty gritty of all of this. That's a really but good answer, point. Yeah, yeah. So what is epigenetics? Well, epigenetics basically means that um, you can change the expression of your genes and that those changes can be inherited from generation to generation. Now, we're talking about changing what's called the phenotype without changing the genotype. And so we're going to talk about what those words mean. But it should be known or recognized that epigenetics has been around for all of human existence. It's a regular and natural occurrence. It's, it, it may be, uh, we may be unfolding the story of epigenetics from the research point of view uh, as, as time goes on, but it, it is part of our own normal biology. Uh, it's a regular natural occurrence. Uh, it can be influenced by several factors, including our internal and external environment, lifestyle uh, and disease state. Um, maybe the simplest way to think about epigenetic modifications is the way in which cells differentiate into different types, like you have skin cells, liver cells, brain cells, that sort of thing. All these cells are different in, in, in their type, but they all have the same genetic code. Okay, that's a really nice explanation. Yeah. And it's just so fascinating because somehow I think a lot of us have the impression that the genetic code that we're born with, the genes that were expressed in our parents are just by default going to be expressed in us. And what you're saying is that that's not necessarily the case. It's not necessarily the case at all. Not, not at all. So I like to sometimes use the term phenome. Um, and a phenotype is an individual trait, say brown eyes. Um, it's what you see. Uh, the phenome is really sort of the sum of all those individual traits. Um, so if you look in the mirror, you see an, an image of yourself, that's your phenome. Um, and the phenome is determined by your genes or your genotype uh, and partly determined by sort of everything else. And if we look at it from a, a proportionate point of view, it, in general, it's said that your genes account for only about 25% or 30% of your phenome, and the rest is epigenetic influence. So it's a really powerful concept because it really says that uh, we have far more influence over our genes than we might think that we do. Um, or put in another way, it says that our genes are really only minority stakeholders in our phenome and in our future. So it refutes this idea of a genetic destiny, that somehow everything is predetermined or already laid out for us without any control at all. That's right. That's right. That's a really powerful point to make. Well, epigenetics has been around, like I said, for a while. Uh, it was first described um, by Conrad Washington. Uh, he was a professor of genetics at Edinburgh University, and he coined the term um, back in 1942. Of course, over the years, there have been other scientists who have contributed to the body of knowledge about epigenetics, uh, close following um, uh, Dr. Uh, Washington uh, was... Uh, Ernst Hadorn, who uh, was from Zurich, Switzerland. And Hadorn used, uh, one of the things he was famous for was his uh, experiments with Drosophila or the fruit fly. 
um, uh, he studied something called an imaginal disk of the of the Drosophila, and these are regions of embryonic tissue uh, that are present in the fly larvae, um, and each disc would later develop into a specific adult structure, uh, but the discs, the discs themselves are completely undifferentiated uh, cells. And he was able to grow the disc tissue in the abdomen of adult flies and then expose the disc tissue to a hormone called ectazone, which is a steroid prohormone, and cause those undifferentiated cells to differentiate into the appropriate adult structure. So there was that epigenetic influence on the uh, fruit fly cell. Okay, so we've been learning about this for, I don't know, the past 80 years or so. We've, we've been learning more and more about epigenetics. Now, to really understand how our lifestyle choices affect which genes are expressed or repressed, can you give us a quick primer on just genetics itself? Because that's that knowledge is going to be referred back to when you talk about the different lifestyle choices that we make, what happens biologically. And uh, we have about four minutes left or so in this segment. So you'll just be able to get started on that, and then we'll come back to it in the next segment. You bet. So our genes are made up of sequences of nucleic acids, and these nucleic acids are attached to what's called a sugar phosphate backbone. And the nucleic acids loosely bond to one another. In DNA, it's uh, adenine to cytosine, thymine to guanine, and that way the DNA looks like a double helix or almost like a ladder, but it's twisted, so that's where the helix uh, appearance comes from. In humans, uh, the master copies of our genes are contained in 23 chromosome pairs of DNA, including one pair known as the sex chromosomes. These are X and Y chromosomes, so in males, we have an X and a Y, whereas in females, two Xs result in the female uh, genotype. DNA is located in, in the nucleus of every cell. So to use an analogy, genes can be thought of as blueprints for a house. They, they have to be read by something called RNA, and the RNA could be the foreman on the job. And then the instructions are sent out to the area of the, of the mammalian cell immediately adjacent to the nucleus called the endoplasmic reticulum. And this could be thought of as the construction site. So resting DNA is tightly wound up uh, so that for a gene to be read from the DNA, the DNA has to partly unwind. And we'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but just know that for now that uh, the DNA that is contained in the nucleus of the cell opens up just enough to be read and coded into messenger RNA, which in turn leaves the nucleus with the information to go to the work site, which is the endoplasmic reticulum, where uh, from those instructions the protein or the house is constructed. Okay, let's go over that one more time just to make sure everybody has it. So I really like the analogies that you drew for the blueprint, the foreman, and the construction site. So can you go over that one more time, how this happens? Right. So the DNA opens up, and actually the double helix separates a little bit, so RNA can go in and match itself to the nucleic acid sequence of the DNA. Um, so that sequence is essentially copied. We have the master 
uh, genes, that's your DNA. We have the copy, that's the RNA. And then the RNA travels out into the endoplasmic reticulum where it's transcribed into protein. Okay. All right. So that's how all of that happens. And yeah, that was actually quite a quite a bit right there. Now, if you can, uh, we have just another minute or so. If you want to just keep going a little bit more, and then we'll come back and we'll summarize a bit to make sure everybody has what's going on here. Right. So now that we have that part of it down, we can talk about epigenetic mechanisms. Uh, the mechanism that gets the most attention is DNA methylation. And a methyl group is simply a carbon with three hydrogens attached. I'm going to use a lot of analogies, and one that might be useful here is to think of a dictionary. You know, a dictionary contains all the known words of a given language. So if you want to say a sentence in French, but you don't have a working knowledge of French, you know, we'd probably all agree you couldn't go and get a French dictionary and, and by simply opening the dictionary speak a, a fluent sentence in French. But on the other hand, if you had uh, some highlighter pens and post-it notes and were to select out a few words from the dictionary by marking the pages and specific words, then without necessarily even understanding the words, it might be possible to construct a simple sentence from individual words that were just chosen out. Um, so methyl groups are like marks on a page that guide you to a specific word, to a gene. Uh, however, it turns out that methylation of DNA is a silencing signal which causes the expression of a gene to be turned off. It's like taking a page in the dictionary and crossing out all the words or definitions you don't want to read and leaving uncovered the words and definitions you do want to read. Oh, okay. So the methylation then would cause genes to be repressed. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so that's a, that's a point that we're going to come back to because what you're going to talk about in the upcoming segments is how lifestyle choices or environment, emotion cause DNA methylation and how that then affects your overall health. So that was a great intro to uh, epigenetics and just touched upon DNA methylation, and then we're going to get into some other epigenetic terminology as well on the other side of the break. But for right now, let's just take a few moments for our first break. And this is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra, and I'm talking to Dr. Kenneth Charlin, neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And we just covered some complicated stuff, but stay tuned because he's going to get into some more detail and then explain how our lifestyle choices affect these biological processes for ourselves and, most interestingly, our offspring. It's really fascinating stuff. So thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. It's here, announcing the launch of a new health and wellness community called whole-treatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. 
we aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs or genetically modified organisms are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and my guest today is Dr. Kenneth Charlin, neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And we're talking today about epigenetics, and Dr. Charlin is really breaking down this fascinating field for us. And on the other side of this break, he started explaining what methylation is. And Dr. Charlin, uh, you didn't quite finish that discussion, so go ahead and do that. And then we'll move on to how our lifestyle choices affect all these processes. You bet. So we were talking about methylation and how um, within that the genetic code is sort of like a dictionary. It's got lots and lots of words, but just I use the analogy that if you didn't speak French, you couldn't buy a French dictionary and then say, well, if I just study this a lot, I'm going to be able to speak French. But you might be able to mark out a few words in the dictionary, um, and perhaps even if you didn't understand the words or really speak the language, you could string a few words together, and it would sound like you were speaking French. You could create a sentence hypothetically with a dictionary. And the marking of the words is kind of like what methylation is. These are genetic markers along the genome. But in the case of methylation or the addition of this carbon and three hydrogen group onto the DNA strand, it actually acts as a silencing signal and tells certain genes to be turned off or not expressed as proteins. And I was about to say before we went on the break that what's really fascinating is that these marks on the DNA are actually mitotically heritable. And so what that means is that we know that cells divide. One cell begets two cells, begets four cells, and so forth. And, you know, the process of uh, fertilization and creation of a new organism, the passing along of genetic information, um, that we're not just passing along our genes, but we're actually passing along these epigenetic marks. That's really interesting. Yeah, so mitosis then refers to the copying and division of one cell into two cells and so forth. And so if you think of specialized cells like skin cells, if you cut yourself and you grow new skin, and each skin cell has DNA that contains the entire genetic code for programming and creating of all cell types, 
Uh, but there's this built-in mechanism that instructs skin cells to divide and multiply only into new skin cells. So that's epigenetic uh, mm. information that makes that happen. The mechanism requires silencing of genes because you wouldn't want a skin cell to some, suddenly become a retina cell. Right, you don't want eyeballs your, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Got it, so, okay. Yeah, so equally important then and coupled with DNA methylation is DNA demethylation or the removal of a methyl group. Um, and this process could be responsible for epigenetic reprogramming of genes and, and that going to be something that we could talk about toward the end. It could have very fascinating implications. Um, But the epigenetic reprogramming of genes uh, could, in one situation, be responsible for the underlying mechanism of a disease such as tumor progression. Mm. Now, there are other types of epigenetic marks and you and I spoke a little during the break, and we decided to really summarize these very quickly so that when our listeners hear the words, they know that we're talking about epigenetic marks. And I'm not going to explain them in great detail because we've got a lot of great content for the show today. Um, so similar to uh, DNA methylation is a process called DNA acetylation. So in this case, we're going to add an acetyl group or take off an acetyl group, and that's important. Um, It's also important to understand that in order for DNA to be read, it has to be opened up, as I mentioned. And normally, DNA is wound up very tightly around a group of proteins called histones. And so another epigenetic mark involves actually um, marking the histone itself to tell the DNA, for example, to open up. And then finally... um, The last type of epigenetic mark to cover involves something called non-coding RNA. And in a nutshell, uh, what that's all about is that even though we talk a lot about our DNA and our RNA having uh, the code for genes, there's also a lot of code there that for a long time it, it wasn't clear what the code was actually doing, that it wasn't clearly genetic coding, um, and so we call this non-coding RNA. Sometimes it's even called junk RNA. But it turns out there is important information in these sections of RNA, and um, these non-coding regions do appear to be involved in epigenetic processes uh, that affect the behavior of cells. And uh, so, for example, one really nice, uh, fascinating example of uh, how this might work is in um, the calico cat. The calico cat, it turns out, is always a female cat. Right. And the reason that the calico cat is always a female cat uh, is if you think of the different colors that make up the calico cat, the color for its fur is located on the X chromosome. But we have two X chromosomes in the female, so one of the X chromosomes has to be silenced. And it turns out that the silencing of one of the X chromosomes uh, is caused by a segment of non-coding RNA. 
And this occurs randomly. It actually occurs randomly even in, in human females, except that obviously uh, as human beings we don't have fur, so you can't see the coloring, but one gene is expressed and one gene is, is silenced. In the male, that's not really necessary because you have an X and a Y chromosome instead of two X chromosomes, and therefore the um, males would not be calico as okay. opposed to the females. So it's just a nice little example of epigenetics. Yeah, and so the phrases that you taught us about, methylation, acetylation, histones, non-coding RNA. So now let's move forward and talk about how something like nutrition affects these processes. Can you describe for us how that actually influences these genetic markers? Yeah, in, in the context of epigenetics and nutrition, we can think of food as information and food as medicine. And we know that macronutrients, vitamins, minerals, and phytonutrients can modify epigenetic phenomenon and alter the expression of genes at the transcription level. Micronutrients oh. like folate, vitamin B12, methionine, choline, and betaine can affect DNA methylation, other Water-soluble vitamins like biotin, niacin, pantothenic acid also play a role in the modification of histones. Resveratrol from grapes, butyrate, which is found in butter or made from gut bacteria, sulforaphane from broccoli and diallyl sulfide from garlic all inhibit histone deacetylation, and curcumin from turmeric inhibits histone acetyltransferase or the addition of an acetyl group to uh, histones, which again, as I mentioned earlier, is one of the other types of epigenetic modifications. Okay. Basically, we're talking, pardon me? What does that mean in terms of, for example, uh, our health? How would we experience these things? Well, uh, as an example of the effects of DNA methylation, you can talk about uh, folate. So folate carries a methyl group, and ultimately it delivers that methyl group for the synthesis of SAMe, which is also called S-adenosyl methionine, which is the methyl donor for DNA methylation reactions. And I know that the role of folate is a very hot topic in functional medicine these days, and sometimes it's referred to as MTHFR for short. Um, Today we're just going to focus on one piece of that puzzle, and that's the DNA methylation. But folate is essential for DNA methylation reprogramming during the embryonic period. So folate deficiency in early pregnancy uh, is associated with an increased risk of neural tube defects, which is the closure of the spinal cord and the formation of the brain. Um, And the reason uh, for this problem uh, occurring may be uh, that there is aberrant reprogramming of that DNA uh, methylation. So not only is folate deficiency in early pregnancy associated with neural tube defects of the embryo, but also pediatric developmental disease and cancer later in life. Wow. Okay. So what happens, for example, if you eat a lot of junk food? What does that do to these genetic markers? How does that influence them? Well, certainly uh, anti-nutrients uh, do affect uh, the the uh, epigenetic expression as well. 
Um, we know that diets high in processed food tend to drive a state of chronic inflammation. I wonder if we could focus on a couple specific types of exposure, such as uh, heavy metals. Uh, heavy metals uh, have uh, epigenetic uh, effects in terms of carcinogenicity, meaning they promote they can promote cancer. Uh, so we're talking about things like heavy metals and drinking water. Uh, drinking water can be contaminated by industrial sewage and agricultural runoff, and those exposures have epigenetic effects on histone proteins and methylation of DNA, causing indirect gene sequence changes in the formation of tumors. So other specific examples of heavy metals, ex- heavy metal exposures include aluminum, arsenic, chromium, nickel, and selenium. And even though selenium is an essential trace element, has a very narrow range between toxic and therapeutic doses. So all of these are very significant. When we talk about exposures, whether it be uh, various chemicals um, or uh, heavy metals, they really have implications for our epigenome. Okay, very interesting. All right, so that was a discussion about how uh, nutrition, both good and bad, can affect genetic markers. And on that note, let's get ready for our next break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra, and I'm talking to Dr. Kenneth Charlin, neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And we just covered how nutrition affects our genetic expression and repression. And in the next segment, we're going to talk about how physical activity and emotional health affect all of this as well. So stay close and we'll see you on the other side of this break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. It's here. Announcing the launch of a new health and wellness community called whole-treatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs or genetically modified organisms are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet 
at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and my guest today is Dr. Kenneth Charlin, neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And Dr. Charlin, in the previous segments, we went over the basics of DNA and epigenetics and talked briefly in the previous segment about how food and toxins can have both a positive and negative epigenetic effects. And now let's talk about exercise because this is a big piece of the puzzle as well. How is gene expression regulated through the epigenetic effects of exercise? Well, it it is known that physical exercise can lead to epigenetic modifications and they can exercise can have an impact on a whole spectrum uh, of biological processes from metabolism to inflammation, cancer expression, aging. It has an effect on the central nervous system as well as the cardiovascular system. And why don't we start talking just a little bit about the epigenetic modifications that have beneficial effects on cancer. Yes. So we know that exercise has an effect on DNA methylation patterns that leads to increased expression of genes associated with tumor suppression and decreased expression of genes that promote cancer called oncogenes. It's also known that physical exercise increases the level of good stress, which we can call eustress on the body, and that this eustress-stimulated epigenetic modification affects the DNA genome of cancer cells. Now, one interesting study of breast cancer patients showed that patients who exercise regularly had greater expression of uh, tumor suppressor uh, genes and a 60% reduction in the risk of breast, breast cancer death. Oh. We can look at other examples, uh, the effects of exercise. For example, uh, the process of aging. Uh, a major component of aging is the significant loss of DNA methylation over time. Now, what I'm referring to when I talk about studies, a lot of these are animal studies, uh, but it will be very apparent as we talk about them that this is most likely a mechanism that is also uh, true in human beings. Uh, but a study of exercising rodents, in a study of exercising rodents, it was shown that DNA methylation loss increased significantly as the rodent aged, but the loss of DNA methylation was slowed by physical exercise. So this has been demonstrated in human beings who exercise 30 minutes or more uh, per day compared to sedentary individuals. Wow. Another, okay. Yeah. Component of aging is the gradual shortening of telomeres located at the end of chromosomes. And telomeres can transcribe non-coding RNA, and some of this non-coding RNA is involved in um, what's called heterochromatin formation and the preventing of the shortening of telomeres that we associate uh, with, with aging itself. So that would be another example uh, of exercise-induced uh, epigenetic pressures. Okay, so let's talk for a moment about folks that have a history of cancer in their family. Uh, It seems like once they realize this, they want to start taking measures like removing organs and such to make sure that the cancer doesn't grow where it may be predisposed to grow. Uh, What's your comment on that? 
Well, I think you're referring to, for example, the BRCA gene it, uh, that has become um, a very a topic of great concern today. Uh, you know, Angelina Jolie had um, very radical surgery uh, to address her personal concerns over the BRCA gene. And although I'm not an expert on this particular subject, uh, my understanding of the statistics, and this is uh, coming from um, Dr. Jeff Bland, is one of the fathers of functional uh, neurology, if not the father of functional, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, one of the fathers of functional medicine. Um, Dr. Bland uh, says that um, if you look at the BRCA gene uh, itself, that genes have not changed over the decades. We have the same genes we had in 1900, for example, 1945. But the risk of developing breast cancer for women who have that gene has actually gone up dramatically uh, over the decades. So the implication is if the gene hasn't changed, but the risk of developing these female cancers has changed, then what's really changed is probably the environment. And so this gives us pause to think that while it is an individual and deeply personal decision um, to have radical surgery, uh, we may want to consider really the factors that underlie the expression of those genes, in this case specifically the BRCA gene, and maybe try to address those factors rather than resort to the surgery. Yes, correct. I think that's that's the point that we're trying to make is that although you may have a particular gene or predisposition, uh, it's not necessarily etched in stone that it will happen to you. And of course, this is a highly personal decision. Uh, we're not advising one way or the other, but just trying to point out the impact that environment and lifestyle factors can have on whether it actually expresses itself or not. That's right. Yes. Okay. So how about our emotions and environment, both of which can be clean or rather toxic? How do these factors affect our genes? Well, we've known that there's a link between variations, for example, in early life exposure and long-term risk of physical and psychiatric disease in adulthood. And this can include things like nurturing social experiences and the presence of threats or stressors in the environment. The variations in DNA methylation and histone modification have been observed in offspring exposed to prenatal stress, um, disruption to mother-infant interactions, variations in maternal care and adult social stress. Uh, may account for effects of post-weaning social environments on the development of juveniles. So here the research, again, is largely focused on rodent studies, um, uh, but the studies have looked at animal models of abuse, neglect, and variations in maternal care. Um, epigenetic modifications, particularly DNA methylation, is associated with early life manipulation of the quality and frequency of interaction between the mother and the baby. So in these animal models, the epigenetic effects are apparent at six weeks, three months, and a year after the experience, for example, of maternal separation. So it's fascinating that you have this one event that occurs, say, at day zero in the experimental model, but you're still seeing the effects a year down the line, and that's in an animal that obviously does not have the lifespan of a human being. Uh, so a one year, uh, I suppose, to a rat could be many years 
to a human being. And, and so that's the point, that uh, these types of early life experiences, even in human beings, uh, are carried with us for, for decades. Okay. So basically what this is saying is that the emotions that we experience, uh, the type of environment that we may be in, particularly as a child, these affect our biology. It's not as though these emotions just sort of come and go. Uh, they become part of you. Is that what this is saying? Absolutely. Um, experiences across the lifespan are capable of inducing epigenetic variation. Um, another nice example in adult mice that have genetically induced memory impairment, uh, four weeks of exposure to complex housing environments uh, was found to be associated with increased histonacetylation in, in region of the brain subserving memory, specifically the hippocampus and cortex, and that resulted in improvements in memory. So here you've got an example of the potential to reverse uh, cognitive impairments, such as in Alzheimer's disease, through epigenetic mechanisms. Okay. Um, and, yeah. But in contrast, chronic stress is associated with reductions in levels of something called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And research use, researchers used a uh, rat model in which the rats were immobilized and at the same time exposed to a predator odor and found significantly increased uh, a significant increase in hippocampal DNA methylation uh, within the gene for brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So remember, methylation implies suppression of the expression of a gene, um, but again, uh, this effect was sustained over time. And um, so we can, we can kind of see things going in both ways here, both loss of memory and improvement in memory related to the gene and ultimately the protein brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Mm, okay. All right. Very interesting. So, yeah, so in this segment, basically we covered how important physical exercise is, especially for the expression and repression of genes that can have to do with tumor growth um, and also emotions and environment. So providing a good emotional environment and support especially for young children as they're growing, uh, it seems to be really critical just to how their bodies will develop and their chance at having sustained health through the rest of their life. So that's very fascinating stuff. And on that note, let's get ready for our final break. This is your host for Generation Regeneration, Sandra Malhotra. And I'm talking to Dr. Kenneth Charlin, neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And all I can say after listening to this is, wow, at the power that we have to impact our genetic code, our genetic expression or repression with our food choices, exercise, and emotional health. Uh, we have a lot of power here to determine how healthy we are on all levels, depending on our daily choices. So we'll see you on the flip side with some final thoughts and some contact information. See you in a few. life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
It's here, announcing the launch of a new health and wellness community called whole-treatment.com. As a practitioner, you can increase your visibility by creating a detailed profile, posting blogs, advertising online and live events, and accepting online appointments. As a client, you can learn about holistic healing modalities, research practitioners to find the best one for you, and conveniently book online appointments, all for free. We aspire to change the way healthcare is practiced, and together we can do it. Visit whole-treatment.com to find out more. GMOs or genetically modified organisms are plants or animals that have been genetically engineered with DNA from bacteria, viruses, or other plants and animals. These experimental combinations of genes from different species cannot occur in nature or in traditional crossbreeding. Most developed nations do not consider GMOs to be safe. Right now, over 80% of the corn and soy grown in the U.S. is genetically modified, and we should be able to choose whether we wish to consume these foods or not. Visit non-gmoproject.org forward slash learn dash more. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. To connect with Sandra, send an email to Sandra Malhotra at wcubedcommunity.com or tweet at Sandra G. Malhotra, hashtag WeAreGenR. She looks forward to your comments. Now back to Generation Regeneration. And welcome back, everyone. Thank you again for joining us. I'm your host, Sandra Malhotra, and my guest today has been Dr. Kenneth Charlin, neurologist and functional medical doctor at Ozarks Community Hospital in Springfield, Missouri. And up to this point, we covered a lot of the epigenetic influences from food choices, exercise, and emotional health. And we'd like to continue on with that vein talking about how things like mindfulness and mind control can affect your genetic expression. So let's close out on this, Dr. Charlin. Uh, can you explain how this works? Certainly. Uh, I'd like to bring listeners' uh, attention to a 2014 Canadian research group study headed by Dr. Linda Carlson, who found that breast cancer patients uh, in breast cancer patients, support group involvement and mindfulness, mindfulness meditation were both associated with preserved telomere length. And she used a control group in the study that received just a six-hour, essentially non-interactive stress management course. And these individuals actually had shortened telomeres as opposed to those who participated in a, actively participated in support group and mindfulness uh, meditation and similar and so findings have well, been I'm sorry, uh, demonstrated if I could just by doctor. Well, what's the advantage of the longer telomeres again? If you could remind us of that. Well, in general, shortening of telomeres has been associated with advancing age. Mm. Um, so, uh, in a nutshell, that that by uh, increasing um, uh, nurturing signals from the brain and uh, epigenetic signals, um, these individuals were able to uh, 
have length uh, to lengthen their telomeres. Got you. Right. Okay. Uh, I was going to say that uh, Dean Ornish, who's probably fairly well known to the listeners, uh, showed also that a variety of lifestyle style factors, including imagery, uh, progressive relaxation, and meditation, increased telomere activity. Uh, our telomerase, which is an enzyme that lengthens telomeres in men with prostate cancer. Um, so this has been demonstrated in more than one occasion. Um, and then interestingly, there's a little study that was put out by the HeartMath Institute back in 2003. Uh, Dr. Rollin McCrady and his colleagues um, found in participants instructed to generate feelings of love and appreciation while holding a specific intention uh, caused a change in their DNA, either to wind up or unwind. Um, um, and and uh, this was accomplished through increases in heart coherence. Um, so there was not only an increase in heart coherence, but a, a change in the conformation of their DNA simply by uh, using affirmations of love and appreciation. And he did have control groups that showed no significant change in their heart coherence and no significant change uh, in their DNA by contrast. Okay. All right. And so we're just about to wrap up here in a few minutes, and you covered a lot of ground in this show. So if you were to summarize a couple of take-home messages for our listeners, what would they be? Right. So the first one is the concept of genetic destiny, and that is the idea that somehow our genes uh, predetermine our lives and our future, and with the evolution of our understanding of epigenetics, that is clearly not the case, um, that we have far more influence over our genes through the environment and through our emotions and through uh, things like meditation uh, and love uh, clearly influence the expression of our genes. Mm. Yeah. Um, so that's an important point. Very important. I think, you know, also, just because I'm a clinician, I'm, I'm not a researcher, uh, but this information is now getting out, you know, coming out of the lab, coming out of the research institutions, um, you know, finding their way into the community clinics. Um, question is sort of how do we manage this information? Um, and, you know, there, we've talked about some details. There's obviously a lot more details that we could get into. Um, and I see people all the time who have had their um, genetic code uh, analyzed through a company called 23andMe, or they've checked their methylation status and they want to um, manage these individual, the expression of these individual genes uh, that they've identified. And I think in most cases, we really don't have to micromanage our genes. Um, it, it may not even be realistically possible in certain cases. I think that most important take-home message is that the basic lifestyle factors like sleep, exercise, nutrition, stress management, and relationships that center around love and appreciation really play a major role and are the controlling factors in gene expression and how our lives play out in terms of sickness and health. And so talking about epigenetics and epigenetic mechanisms in an, in an applied way is really just a way to confirm 
essentially what we already knew, that these lifestyle factors are critical for quality of life. Um, there are broad general guidelines when it comes to dosing things like sleep or exercise, you know, seven or eight hours of sleep or, uh, per night on average, uh, 30 minutes of exercise five times per week is a good dose of exercise. And the story about nutrition is evolving, um, but most of us, I think, would agree that a diverse diet consisting of real nutrient-dense foods is key and that we should emphasize clean foods to minimize exposures to toxins. Uh, and I mentioned in, in our discussion as heavy, heavy metals as one example. But that said, the exciting thing is we're entering the age of big data. And through the ability to analyze extremely large data sets, we will be able to individualize much more precisely these recommendations. This, is actually, this actually falls under the broad topic of precision medicine. And there are several companies, such as Pathway Genomics, that have opened their doors to guide clinicians with this kind of information, although I would, still, I would say that the, the science is still in its infancy. If the listeners are interested in learning more about precision medicine and genomics and big data, uh, I would like to refer them uh, to the work of Dr. Lee Hood and his colleagues at the Institute for Systems Biology, and particularly have them read about something called the 100K Wellness Project. Okay. Finally, looking into the future uh, in more specific applications of medicine, one could imagine that epigenetic uh, uh, principles and research techniques could be used to create specific uh, tissue type for transplantation or stem cell culture. So that is certainly in the very near future. Wow. Okay. This is really fascinating stuff. And I'm sure we could talk about it for much longer, but that is all the time we have for today. So thank you very much, Dr. Charlotte, for sharing so much enlightening information with us about epigenetics today. And this is a really fascinating field, something that I'm sure we'll be hearing more about. So thank you very much for giving us a great introduction. Thank you, Sandra. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. And we'll see you again next week, same time, same place. And our guest will be Julie Renee Daring, who will also delve into the power we all have to improve our biology with something called cellular quantum dynamics. It's amazing how powerful we really are. And the more I learn, the more it becomes clear that we're only victims if we choose to be. We actually are quite powerful in determining our destiny. And in the meantime, please follow my company, W Cubed, on Facebook or connect with me on Twitter at Sandra G. Malhotra. You can check out all of our activities at WCubedCommunity.com. So thanks so much, everyone. Have a great week. Namaste. Thank you for tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Please join us again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. In the coming week, think of the changes that you could make to regenerate your body, mind, and spirit. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.